John the 8th chapter. Go to John the 8th chapter. And remember, if you've got a question, comment, just go ahead, hit star five. I'll see your hand at some point. And uh, we'll go from there. All right. So we're going to pick up where we left off on Friday. We're looking at um, the promise of Abraham as it pertains to understanding the kingdom a little bit more. And hopefully by now, you can see that it, it appears from God's point of view that the kingdom, its practices, its understanding all start with this man named Abraham. So everything's going to be filtered through Abraham to bring it to where we are today so that we get understanding of what God, the scriptures, and Jesus meant when it comes to the subject, the gospel of the kingdom versus what we think. Okay. The other thing I'm going to bring up is just a reminder that by now, hopefully, you can see that there is a difference between uh, what, kind of going back to what you read on Friday night, it, it clearly pointed out that what we call the Old Testament versus what the actual Hebrew scriptures are, are not the same thing. Similar to each other, but not the same thing. So we have a document that's been copied from another document, but the issue with our copy is, is that those who rewrote our copy chose to either change words, hide words, or just overall just not even deal with the subject and just, just leave it out. And so that's why a lot of times when you're reading the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, you'll be reading one story, and then by the time you get to the next chapter, it's a totally different story, and the other story was just kind of left open, like, it was like what? I'm confused. <laughs> How did we get from this to that? And so, so, so by now, you can tell that the document that you have called the Old Testament has been played with. Amen? Amen. And uh, as I keep saying, you won't hear me say from the Bible way, but you will hear me keep emphasizing you must study it because there's something wrong with this picture. Okay. So, John 8 is where we're going to start at today. And... um Let's start at verse 30, please, Sister Jayhad. Verse 30. John 8, verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Okay, stop real quick. Stop real quick. Let me give you the backdrop, and you can go back and read verses 1 through 29 in your own time. So Jesus is in, in, in the area. He's doing miracles and healings like he always does. But on this particular day, the religious leaders, who you know as the Pharisees, come to Jesus to challenge Jesus. And one of the things you'll notice in your New Testament about the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, it is very evident that the Pharisees and Jesus just, they did not get along nor see things eye to eye. We all agree with that? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Jesus was focused on kingdom. They was focused on trying to shut him down and make him look bad. Now, part of what you already know is uh, uh, one of the reasons why they tried to shut Jesus down was about losing political or religious power. But there's a deeper reason as to why they objected Jesus 
um, which we'll try to delve into a little bit here today. Um, one of the other things you'll notice in the New Testament when it comes to the Pharisees and Jesus is they constantly question Jesus as to why him and his disciples don't follow the traditions of the elders. Where Jesus always responded, why don't you obey the word of God? So the, again, to bring back a memory, the tradition of the elders that the New Testament talks about is the book that the Jews today call the Talmud, which is an offshoot of what they call the, the, the companion of the Torah. You can't understand the Torah without this book. Because the Torah don't give you the details, but the Talmud does. So, so they adhere to the Talmud over the Torah. They don't outright deny the Torah. They just say that you can't live or understand the Torah without the Talmud. Now, the Talmud gets into some very deep, dark practices that, you know, you have to question, like, how does <laughs> this of God right here? But, um, okay, so so with that said, uh, again, if you read in your own time, verse 1 through 29, it's a conversation of Jesus going back and forth with these religious people. To the point that now where we're picking up that, after Jesus said what he had to say, some of the Jews standing there believed that, yeah, this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. But the other ones continue to fight him. That's where we're picking up at. Go ahead and, and start over at verse 30 again. As he spake his words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed. Okay, and so Jesus know. says to these Jews that believe on him, If you stay within my teaching." then you are truly my disciple. Kind of going back to our first class where we looked at the scripture that says, if we go past the teachings of Jesus, that's, that's transgression. So we have, we have to stay within the context of the teachings of Messiah. Okay, please. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus says by staying in my teachings, my teachings will expose you to the truth, and that truth will make you free. So the opposite of standing the truth would equal bondage. Would you agree? Agree. <laughs> and so that's why so many people are walking around in church, speaking in tongues, and going to church, but emotionally and mentally they're in bondage because right. you're trying to live practices and do things that Jesus never asked you to do. Right. Half this stuff that we do in church, Jesus didn't say this. The, the church leadership said this stuff. Don't do this. Don't do that. you got to do it this way. you got to do it that way. And again, as we saw on Friday night, that's legalism, where you have to set up formulas and ways and you got to do it this way and do it that way versus just having a free relationship with God and letting God just guide a person. Okay, so read. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed 
ever in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Okay, stop there. So Jesus is now responded to by these Jewish authorities, and they say, read it again. How? Thirty-three. We be Abraham's seed. Stop there. So they respond to Jesus and say, first of all, first of all, dude, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage. So this should draw a red flag to any student of the Scripture, because if these people that Jesus are addressing are true Semitic people, Abraham's descendants, this statement is not, wouldn't even be valid, that we've never been in bondage, because what happened to the 430 years of bondage in Egypt? Mm. So if this group is saying to Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants and we ain't never been in bondage, then this group of people don't know their history. Kind of like the current President Orange talking about he's the best person to know black history but never explain his black history right. Right. <laughs> right. So, 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 we are Abraham's descendants. And we ain't never been in bondage to nobody. Again, if I'm a descendant of Abraham and I remember the history that my mom taught me, my dad taught me, my grandparents taught me about my people, just as much as I wasn't there when the slave ships brought my ancestors over here, but I, I, I heard about it. I know our history and I can never say, you should get what I'm saying. So either mm -hmm. A, these people don't know their history, or B, we accept that these people don't know the history because these are not the same people. So the, the other thing I'm going to point out here, at this time that Jesus is talking, your Bible depicts Jesus as a man with hair like sheep's wool, feet that look like they had been burnt in a furnace. So we realize from Scripture that we're dealing with a man of color, a Semite man, a, a man that's Semitic. And he's addressing at this point in time a group of people who have hijacked an identity to parade themselves to be something that they're not because they're not Semitic people. So mm -hmm. now this comes down to we don't want to hear what you got to say because you ain't the right skin tone. You have to remember that during the time of Jesus, European Rome was in control. And their alliance with these, these, these Pharisees who were also of European descent, but have converted to Judaism. And I'm going to bring up another fact that I, I brought up in the past. Keep in mind that in the Old Testament, Moses and his people called the children of Israel, were given the name Hebrews, correct? The Hebrew Israelites, is that what the Old Testament calls them? <clears throat> right. But yet when you get to the New Testament, you don't see the word Hebrew Israelite no more. You just see Jew. Right. So it is mm -hmm. evident that the Hebrew people and the Jewish people are not the same people. 
Does that make sense? Right. Which would then explain that when Jesus says what he says and they respond that we are Abraham's seed and we ain't never been in bondage. Because these are the Hebrews. These are the people that didn't hijack the true religion and then brought in this Calhoun stuff. And this is what Jesus kept trying to call his people back to to the religion of Abraham. But the issue he had to address was the other group of people who had integrated with his people and had become powerful as far as money and politics and religion and changed the religion. This is what he was addressing, and this is why they didn't like him. Okay, jump down to verse uh, 39. And like I said, you can read through the story your own time. Jump down to verse 39. Go ahead, Sister Jayhawk. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the work of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Go ahead. Jesus saith unto him, them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Now, verse 44, but I want you to pay very close attention to the word of Jesus. Now, keep in mind, they said earlier, we are Abraham's descendants, and we ain't never been in bondage. Jesus comes back and said, you, ain't, you are not Abraham's descendants. Everybody see this? Mm-hmm. Okay, verse 44, look what Jesus says to them. You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speak of a lie, he speak of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Okay, so Jesus responds to this group of people and says, you are not Abraham's descendants. You are children of the devil. Everybody see the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, we can read this away and try to spiritualize it, or going back to what I said Friday, it is what it is. We are reading clearly that Jesus approached a group of people who claimed to be something that they were not. If we can't accept that, then... Let's give one more scripture to finalize this part, and we'll move on. Go to Revelation, the third chapter. And then, Sister Venus, if you could just isolate and read Revelation 3, verse 9. Just just 9 by itself. Okay, so we're in third chapter? Third chapter. 
Now, before you read these words, before you read these words in verse 9, what color are the words? Red. Red. So if they're red, then that means Messiah self. That's what we've been taught, right? Right. Okay, so what did Jesus say in verse 9? Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews. And are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Okay, so Jesus says here in the Bible, one, there's a group of people called the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews, who say they are God's people, but they're not because they lie. Now, take that and go back to John 8 where Jesus says, you're not Abraham's descendants, you're children of the devil. Does it become clear to you now what I'm trying to show you that at the time of Jesus, the same group that we're dealing with today, even Jesus had to deal with. Everybody see this? Mm -hmm. Okay, go to Exodus, the 12th chapter. And again, what's amazing to me is, this is not hidden in the Bible. This is just right out in your face. So why we deny this and play along with this cat and mouse game that we got going on, I can't figure that part out. It's, to me, it's just people don't believe in what they read. It's just a book that we can just decide what we want to say and what we don't want to believe. Even though the Bible says clearly the scriptures are not open to private interpretation. So if the Bible says I'm not allowed to give my personal private interpretation concerning the book, why would you do it? Exodus 12. Y'all legalistic. Y'all take the Bible literally. <laughs> Okay, Sister J.I., can you isolate just verse 41? And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Okay, so based on Exodus 12, and that verse that we just read, how many years were the children of Israel in Egypt? 430. 430 years. Now, any Torah scholar would have known this information. So to deny this and say we are Abraham's seed and we ain't never been slaves to nobody, then that leads me to understand that this group that Jesus was talking to this, these, these ain't the same people, because you outright said we ain't ever been in bondage. But according to the Torah, the children of Israel were in bondage for 430 years in Egypt. So how do you erase, how do you erase that in history? Right. And just outright say we ain't never been slaves to nobody. Right. Okay? So, so that, that, that's what happened there. Jump over to Genesis. 15. Now, any any true 
scholar of the Torah, any true scholar of the Torah, would have known this information. So Genesis 15, and then Sister J. Hot, if you could just isolate verse 12 and 13, please. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years. Stop there. So we just read that Israel was in Egypt for 430 years, correct? Mm-hmm. But God also told Abraham that his descendants would serve a land for 400 years. There's only one people in the entire world that meets this prophecy, and that's what we would call the Negro of America today. Which is why I keep preaching and saying we don't know who we are. Because they hid this from us. So, you know, we, we talk about we are Abraham's children, but in most times we say by faith, I'm one of Abraham's children. This ain't about faith. We are actually the descendants of this man named Abraham. And it's crazy that they tried to hide this. Okay, so, again, going back to John 8, any true Torah scholar would have known this information and therefore would not have made such a statement as the Pharisees made to the Messiah, that we are Abraham's descendants and we ain't never been in bondage to nobody, which is what... Brought Jesus to the conclusion to say, you are not Abraham's descendants. You are of your children. You are of your father, the devil. So everybody see the difference here? Mm-hmm. So let me show you something real quick. Show you something real quick here. And then uh, when everybody gets this, let me know you got it. Give me one quick second. Um, and then, okay, when everybody gets this, let me know you got it, please. All right, everybody should have it. You got it? Did you send it? Because I, I didn't get nothing to come through yet. Yep, I yeah. sent it. Say it sent. Say it sent on my end. So, so Jayhad, you got it? Okay, Melissa, uh-huh. you got it. Jayhad, you got it. Venus, you're the only one who didn't just get it, right? I did not get it. Okay. All right, so all I did was send a picture. And so for the other two of you who can see the picture, 
Venus will try to describe this to you. So, Sister Felicia, based on what you're seeing in this picture, what 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 stands out to you with this picture? Well, it looks like it's a protest, and um, you know they're basically stating this, that Judaism rejects Zionism and the state of Israel, and they have a big red no sign on top of the star of Israel. On top of the star of David or the Israeli flag. What 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 I want to point out to you as you're looking at this is notice the people in the background seem to be dressed like what we would call modern-day Jews. So these Jews are protesting with these signs saying that we're against the state of Israel. Wow. How does a Jew be against his own state? So obviously these people know something going on that the rest of the world just doesn't seem to know, particularly the church world. So check this out. How is the church standing with the state of Israel when the state of Israel's own people is protesting against it? How does that work? <laughs> so either A, again, we here in America are being duped and hoodwinked and led down a path that ain't right, or B, something's going on in the Middle East that we're just not ready to. So I'm going to ask again. Why is the state of Israel protesting its own state if it's a legitimate, God-ordained state? <clears throat> so something's going on here with this picture. So, 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 so let's let's look at something real quick. Go to go to Genesis. Go to Genesis sixteen. Genesis 16, and then while we're going to Genesis 16, Sister Venus, can you Google the word Midrash for me? M I D. Yeah, M I D. M. M as in Mary, I D. Okay. R A S H. Midrash. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Doing it right now. Yeah. And it could be it could be Wiki's definition, it could be the dictionary definition, just I just need Midrash. Okay, I got I do have the regular dictionary one. Okay, what's that say about the one? I got Wiki, Wiki Wikipedia too. Wikipedia means, don't matter. Okay. Midrash is a Hebrew is biblical engines by ancient Judaic authorities using a mode of interpretation commonly in the Talmud. The word is Okay, stop there. Stop there. Stop there. So let me explain. In, in a broken-down way, what she just explained. So, according to the definition of the word midrash, midrash would be the Jewish commentary to the scriptures. So the midrash has the scriptures broken down verse by verse with a 
exegesis or explanation from the Jewish rabbinical or rabbi's viewpoint of the history of, of these scriptures. Now, what's interesting is, in our Old Testament, they don't give us the Medrash. They just gave us the Old Testament. But when you take the Medrash to the Hebrew scriptures, they break it down verse by verse and explain it. So it would basically be a commentary to the scriptures from a Jewish viewpoint. So I'm going to give you an example. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. Here's what your Old Testament says versus here's what the Jewish Encyclopedia or the Midrash says about what you just read. So let's read it from our, our church way first. Genesis 16. And I, and I want you to read just verse 1. Sister Jaha, please. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Hagar. Okay, stop there. So if you remember on Friday night, we started with Abraham going down into Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Abraham all these gifts of oxen and donkeys and all that good stuff and handmaids and men service. And then Pharaoh put him out and said, take everything I gave you and, and, and leave. So then when you get to chapter 16, this new character pops up in the story with the name Hagar, who's a handmaiden to the wife of the prophet Abraham. So reading it from our Bible, it is evident that it's saying that Hagar was the slave girl of the house. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, but when we go to the Jewish encyclopedia, when everybody gets this, let me know you got it. And on my end, it is sending. Okay, set. So you should get it in just a second. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody got it? I don't have it. Do you have me connected? Yep, you're on here. That's it. I'm in the group. Yeah. Okay, now I just, I just now got it. Okay. 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 I got that so, one. Sister Felicia, you got it? Yes. Okay, so if you all look at the very top, I did it perfectly like this so you would see the source of where I got this from. It says JewishEncyclopedia.com. Everybody see that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so jump down to the bottom where it says rabbinical literature. And you will see that according to the Midrash, which we just established what the Midrash is, the commentary from the Jewish point of the scriptures, according to the Midrash, Hagar was the daughter of Pharaoh, who, seeing what great miracles God had done for Sarah's sake, said it is better for Hagar to be a slave in Sarah's house than a mistress in her own. In this sense, Hagar's name is interpreted as reward. Hagar equals this is reward. She was at first reluctant when Sarah desired to marry, desired her to marry Abraham, 
And although Sarah had full authority over her as her handmaid, she persuaded her, said, consider thyself happy to be united with this thing. Hagar is held up as an example of the high degree of godliness prevalent in Abraham's time. Okay, stop there. So, according to the Jewish viewpoint of Hagar, she was the daughter of the Pharaoh. So that would now make Hagar a princess more than a slave. Mm-hmm. Now, for the sake of time, I don't have time to, to send it all to you, but if you do your own research into the Midrash, you will find out that the relationship that Hagar had with Sarah and Abraham was not that of a slave girl, but was one that she saw what Allah did for this prophet and for this woman. And she submitted her life to Allah because of this event, and she wanted to follow them. And even though her daddy gave her to them as a gift, this was the princess of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Did everybody see, see, see what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. But yet, for some reason, in the church world, Hagar has become the bad person. Right. Right. Down to the point that we have even called her son a bastard. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, Sister Venus, I did it for myself. There is not one scripture in the Bible that ever called Ishmael a bastard. Not mm-hmm. one phrase in the Bible that ever says Ishmael was a, a bastard. So at what point in church history do we have the right or the authority to call this boy a bastard when God's words don't even say that? So this viewpoint of Hagar being the bad person and her son being a bastard came from somebody. And you know what's tripped out about it? How can you be a bastard if you're married? Exactly. So with that said, I want everybody to jump down to to verse um, uh, 2. 16.2 says, And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid, and it may be that I obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah, Sarai. And Sarah's, and, and Sarah's Abram, <laughs> I'm sorry, and Sarai's Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Before the bastard child was born, Abraham and his mama was married. Going back to Venus's point, if the Bible says they were married, how is he a bastard? So again, I bring up the fact that not one time in your Bible will you ever find the statement that Ishmael was a bastard. And it's so sad that we've made fun of this boy, even now to say, well, you know, uh, Ishmael comes first before the real blessing comes. Right. You got to watch out for those Ishmaels. 
You know, Ishmael comes before Isaac. And, and, and again, all we're doing is being a parent, repeating what we heard without knowledge. So nowhere in your Bible is Ishmael depicted as a bastard except for where you get into Paul's writing. And Paul never outright called him a bastard. Paul just gives the illustration that he was the son of a slave. So regardless if we want to even say she was a slave, and even if we leave out the part that the Jews decided to leave out that she was a princess, and I'll get to the person who just put their hand up in just a second, even if we want to ignore Princess Hagar on that level and just deal with the slave Hagar, it still doesn't change the fact that the Bible clearly says before Abraham put his seed into her eggs, they were married. So, therefore, the child would have been a legitimate child, not a bastard. Mm-hmm. Everybody see that? Mm-hmm. All right, Sister Venus, go ahead with your comment or question. Okay, I just have a comment. Okay. Now, during, during my, my Christian years, at one point, this is what I'm, I'm guilty of it. You know, I think many of us could say that. But this is what... I don't understand, I guess. Why, as a preacher, like you initially study, like this is this is so plain sight that you, you don't even really have to go look for it. It's right there in front of you in the scriptures. My, my thing is, is why, why are, even to this day, all, all the pastors, the preachers, whoever, are actually preaching this opposite, and they see it right there before them, and it's almost like, I have to say, do they avoid going to this particular scripture? Because I believe that people were sitting there in church, and he was preaching it, and he said, please turn everybody to Genesis 16 and 3, you know. Are they, like, skipping over that verse? Some, Some are skipping it. Some are ignorant and only repeating what they've been told, and some know the truth but don't want to tell the truth because to tell the truth means to uphold and uplift the bastard child named Ishmael, and that goes against all church doctrine. That goes against all church tradition. So for those who know but we don't want to rock the boat, we just ignore this part of history, and we continue on with the story that, Ishmael was the bastard child, and he has no right to the promise. The promise was for Isaac only, not Ishmael, only Isaac. Now, the problem with saying that Ishmael has no right to the promise now contradicts the very Bible they say they believe in. So go to Deuteronomy real quick. Deuteronomy 21. And then, Sister Jehan, please isolate verse 15 and stop at uh, 17, please. What, what, what chapter was that again? Deuteronomy 21. Mm-hmm. And we're going to read verses 15 through 17. Go ahead, Sister Jehan. If a man have two wives, stop, stop, stop. If a man has how many wives? 
How many wives did Abraham have? Two. Two. Okay, so the man has two wives. So if he has two wives, three. One beloved, one beloved, and the, another hated. Okay, so stop there. So, so, so for right now, I'm going to go along with the, the, the traditional church story that Hagar was a mistake. She was the hated one. So we're going to go along with that story. Because, you know, they even go as far as saying that Abraham made a decision in his flesh. Ishmael was never supposed to be, but because Abraham handled facts in his flesh, Ishmael became the product. We've all heard this before, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to stick with that church story, and we're just going to read this. So Abraham had two wives. So now God says, if a man has two wives, one is love, one is hated. So Hagar would be the hated one. Read. And they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated. And if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he make of his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated. Ah, so based on what God's instructions were, the instruction is, even if you despise the one that you had the first child with, you cannot out that child and skip over him for the one son that you had with the woman that you love. That's just not the way God rolls. So in other words, this whole viewpoint that God kicked Ishmael out, and not God, but Abraham kicked Ishmael out. Ishmael didn't get none of the promise. Ishmael wasn't eligible for none of the promises that God told Abraham. You've now contradicted your own book. Now, Sister J. Hop, based on what you just read, what do you see it saying? Um, well, it, I had... Uh, I had two two chicks, and um, one of them had had a, a child, and uh, turns out uh, later on, you know, uh, I, I I didn't have nothing in common with the with that woman anymore, but she gave me a son, so so uh, I just I'm just not gonna. Uh, deal with that woman or the child anymore and that can't that can't be according to according to the law it can't be okay so even we accept that abraham violated the rules and therefore we can't call him a man of god and god's friend no more because he outright disobeyed what God said by sending his bastard son away because he was a mistake. Now, the version that we're talking about from church is evident by now that this is not what you're seeing in your Bible. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. He's not a bastard because he was born in marriage. 
It couldn't be ousted because God had already said you can't oust one for the other. This is just not the way God works. But when you got racist people who rewrote the scriptures and can insert things in the scriptures or take the story the way they want the story to go, now you have the reason why Ishmael has been ousted. And Isaac was the one that the promises came down to. Now, in the end, we must admit that Isaac and Ishmael are brothers. Whether you want to call them half-brothers because they had two different mamas, that's fine. But at the end of the day, they had the same daddy. Now, as far as I know, in most cases where a mom has children by two different men, I've, I know it can happen, but I've not heard it happen often where the kids grow up hating each other because mama had sex with two different men because your daddy ain't my daddy, so I don't like you either. I don't like you or your daddy. <laughs> so in most cases, in most cases, the siblings don't even see it as my daddy, his daddy. They just grow up together. Well, think about something. We've been painted this line that the, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac just hated each other. And it goes all the way back to Ishmael. And once again, Ishmael blame. goes all the way back to when Ishmael got put out by his daddy. And ever since that day, Ishmael has hated Abraham and Isaac and his descendants and just do nothing but torment them. What? Well, where is that at in the Bible? Okay, so now when you read such scriptures where God says certain statements to Abraham, take now thy son, thy only son. So did God forget that Abraham had two sons? Mm-hmm. No, he did not. <laughs> or has somebody took a pen and try to erase one son out of history and put everything on the other son for their own political and sick agendas. Right, right. You know what? I just got what you just said. Take thy only son. That that right there is a red flag, and I just picked up one that is sad that been reading that for the longest, and people talk about it, and you don't, it's just his home. It is what it is. Hard because we hear that, I got we you. hear that all the time. Did you right. see my hand go up? I, hand I see it. I see it. Oh. I see it. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. So, so, so we we. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Something's wrong with the picture. Okay, Melissa, go ahead. And I just wanted to comment on your statement that where you said that they say that Ishmael hated his uh, brethren, but that can't be when he was the one that pulled Joseph out of the pit that his brothers put him in. Right. As you will see, if you read the Ishmaelites, which would be Ishmael's descendants, and Isaac's descendants were always working together. There was no hatred that's recorded in the Bible. They worked together. They understood that they were brothers and cousins, and, and they, they. It wasn't until Zionism came in the, in the game 
that this whole racist bias idea came up. Okay. Um. So, so like I said, next time you read your Bible when it discusses Abraham's only begotten son, that should raise a question to you: Who wrote those words? Because obviously God didn't say that unless we're going to admit that God forgot Abraham had more than one son. Right, right, right. Okay, go back to Genesis 16. Genesis 16. And um, let's pick it up in uh, 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 verse 10. So after 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 Abraham and Hagar get together, but she conceives. Y'all know the rest of the story, you know. The Bible depicts Sarah as becoming an abusive woman and starts beating on this woman. So if anybody was the victim in this story, if we go by the Bible version, it would have been the innocent Egyptian slave Hagar. She didn't ask to be a slave in their household. According to our Bible, she was a gift given. She didn't act. He brought her to this threesome. <laughs> she didn't ask for Abraham to come in her tent and knock her up. This was all done by this man Abraham and his wife Sarah. So now Sarah becomes the abuser. And start beating this woman. This is such a godly story, isn't it? Such a godly story. That, that the great man and woman of God, the, the father of all nations and the mother of nations, beat an Egyptian slave because she was mad that, Abra, that that she was carrying Abraham's son. And it makes no logical sense because at the end of the day, this was your idea. So why get mad now that the woman's pregnant and that's what you said you wanted to do this for? I can't have kids, so go get her pregnant so we can have a son. So now I'm in my feelings because you carrying my husband's first baby, so now I'm going to cap that butt a little bit. (laughs) So even with us sticking to the traditional story, we know that Hagar runs away. And while she runs away, she encounters this being that we call the angel of the Lord, who we know as Gabriel. So pick it up in verse 10, please, Sister Jehar. The angel of the Lord. I'm sorry. Start at verse 9. Start at verse 9. Start at verse 9. Genesis 16, 9. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for a multitude. Stop, stop. Question. If this boy is a mistake, if this boy is not ordained to God, why now does God tell this angel to tell this woman, I'm going to multiply your seed, referring to Ishmael? If anything, wouldn't God want to kill this seed off? Not multiply it. Right. Not bless it. Breathe. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, 
thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord have heard thy affliction. Stop. Did Abraham name his son? No. Did Sarah name this son? No. Did this son's own mama name him? No. The God of heaven and earth told the angels to tell this woman what this baby's name was going to be. So to say that this was of the flesh and it had nothing to do with God, what am I reading here? Why is God taking even the time to name this child if he's such a curse? Right. If he plays no part in the purpose, why even take time to multiply his seed, even give him his name? Now remember, throughout Scripture, we know Isaac was named by God. We know Ishmael was named by God. We know John was named by God. And we know Jesus was named by God. So four babies in the Bible... They parents had nothing to do with naming them. It came from direct orders from God. So, being that we're singling Ishmael out today, how do we call this baby a bastard in a mistake when God seems to be very interested in this baby? Right. Okay, read. Verse 12. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand is against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Okay, so in verse 12, here's where it gets jacked up. Because what you're reading from your translated version, they added words to make Ishmael look negative. So when you read, and he will be a wild man. And his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. Sister J. if we read that that way, what does that say to you? How would you interpret that? He acting like my son, G. (laughs) 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 He just he just don't like nobody. He uh, he he he. I mean, there's no other way to describe the word wild. He just don't think. He just he just does, and uh, he against everybody. Everybody out to get him, and he just he don't like nobody, and always in trouble. Probably always fighting. Okay, okay, sister, just Felicia, when you read it this way, how do you interpret this scripture when you see it this way? Well, I consider that he will be considered like a beast um, and not a man um, and that, you know, no one would like no one would like him and, and be against him and he shall be against everyone. That's how they have worded this to read, to give you that okay. impression. I'm going to consider okay. him even a man. Okay. This is Venus. How does it read to you when you read these words? How, how do you interpret that? Well, when I was reading something in my thing here, um, they compared wild to as a donkey. So we know how a donkey um, can be when it's wild and like trying to—it's almost like trying to break a break, break, break a wild dog. Can't break it, really. And um, 
far as him being against everybody, he just he just he's just hostile. He was okay, pause, 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 real quick. Where where are you getting wild donkey from? Uh, from my other Bible translation, the new uh, ATB, and then BBE says a mountain ass. Uh, okay, so so what does that mean though? He should be a wild donkey. What does that mean? <laughs> well, when I look up the word wild, it just says wild ass. Uh, that's H six five zero one. But there is an origin from it, which is eight six five zero zero. Um, you know what? This is weird because the the origin um, is called para, and the primitive root is to bear fruit and be fruitful. Okay, stop there. Stop there. So what? This is just to explain. I'm going to explain this to you all in your King James version. They put the word, he shall be a wild man. But when you look this up in your Hebrew dictionary, it does not translate as such. It says that he shall be a wild ass, a wild donkey. But then when you understand what wild donkey means from an Eastern point of view, it's not a negative word. What it means is like a donkey is let loose in the pasture to graze, so if wow is out there, when a, when a wild donkey is out there being a donkey, he's at peace. He ain't kicking, he ain't hee-hawing, he's happy. So if if we really look into this from the etymology, what it actually was saying was he should be as a wild donkey, near he would be prosperous. Now, I think we just went to the etymology, and that's what it should say there in the etymology. It means to be prosperous, bountiful. Uh, uh, it should give a couple other definitions, but it's not negative. What it's saying is, behind the hidden word, is that he's going to be prosperous. Yeah, it does not nothing fair. going to stop his prosperity. Then when you get into the part, his hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him, it's the same thing. The way they worded it sounds negative, but when compared to other scriptures in the Bible where this language is used, it's a Eastern idiom or a phrase that deals with a person who's being prosperous and cannot be stopped. Mm. So what the angel actually prophesied over this boy was his name shall be Ishmael. We are going to greatly bless him and multiply his seed. He shall be prosperous in everything he does, and nobody will be able to stop that prosperity. That's what it actually says. But the way they translated it and worded it makes it seem like Ishmael and Hagar are the bad people here. Mm. Pretty deep, ain't it? Mm-hmm. And then notice it says, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren, referring to Isaac's descendants. 
But at this point that Ishmael is born, Isaac is not even the fault. Does everybody understand that? Isaac is not even born yet. Yeah. Isaac is not born until 13 years later. So when you get to the story about God telling Abraham to take his only son for the sacrifice, Isaac's not born yet. Right. And this is in the Bible. So how did we take Isaac and put Isaac on the altar of being the one to sacrifice when your Bible says clearly that it was Ishmael that laid down on that altar? Are we that biased against this baby? That we've even tried to change the story and make a baby that wasn't even born yet be the one on the altar? Mm-hmm. I take that back. I take that back. He was born, but he wasn't no more than two years old. Now that I think about the timing. At the time that God tells Abraham to take the son, Ishmael is about one, no more than two years. I mean, not Ishmael, but Isaac is about one, no more than two years old. So are we to believe that a two-year-old boy looked up at his daddy and said, Daddy, I see the fire, and I see the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And then Abraham looked at a two-year-old boy and said, God will provide, son. Get on up there here. <laughs> So does it make sense what I'm saying here? According to the Bible, matter of fact, matter of fact, uh, uh, um, go back to chapter 16. Look at verse 15 and 16, please, Sister Jehob. And Hagar bare Abram, Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare. Ishmael, and Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Okay. So again, Isaac's not born yet. So who's the firstborn child? Ishmael. And according to what we read, even if we stuck with the traditional story that Abraham decided he made a mistake, he still could not oust this firstborn child. Now, it's amazing how they have changed the scriptures, even erasing history or just politely just ignoring it and not even mentioning it, and this has now become church doctrine, that there are thousands of Christians today who hold this viewpoint that Ishmael is the bad person. And this is why they have such hatred against Muslims. And this is why they have such hatred against the Arab, the, the Arab nation, because the Arab nation would be considered the descendants of Ishmael, and because Ishmael was to be a wild ass of a man and against everybody and everybody against him, this is the racial bias that we're dealing with today. But the issue that nobody's thinking about is, is that there's a third party involved in this who created the racial bias and who's sitting back laughing at the church because the church is doing exactly what they expected to be done, and that's oust a nation that does not deserve to be ousted. Why? 
And this is not just me advocating for the era state. This has nothing to do with it. This is just truth. Okay, so jump over to chapter 17. I hope you're seeing something different today. Yes. Chapter 17, verse 1 says, And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, how old is Abraham now? 99. 99. He's 99 years old. So Ishmael's a couple years older now. But the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now please pay close attention. And I will make my covenant between me and you. and will multiply you exceedingly. So who's the covenant between? Abraham and God. Abraham and God. Okay. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of many nations. Neither shall that name any more be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful and make nations of thee. And kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. Now, the seed that's being referred to here, he doesn't distinguish Ishmael, nor does he distinguish Isaac, even though Isaac's not even born yet. God just says, your seed. I chose you, Abraham, and your descendants to be your God. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to jump ahead of myself here because we don't have that much time left, but I will remind you that uh, uh, Abraham, after Sarah died, marries another woman named Kufra and then has about five to six kids with her that were boys, and it doesn't name the girls. So we know Abraham had a third wife and had other kids. So what about those kids' descendants? Mm-hmm. So when God said your seed, it could be from Ishmael, it could be from Isaac, it could have been from Midian, it could have been from Gresham, it could have been from any of these kids that Abraham had. And when then when those kids grew up and had kids, and those kids grew up and had kids, and then the Semitic family begins to spread out all across the East. And we were happy. We were happy until these colonist sellers came and saw what we had. They saw our technology. They saw our building skills. They saw our mathematic skills. They saw that we could easily predict the future by astronomy. They didn't know these sciences, but we did. So they kidnapped us. Force us into forced labor and then take our, take our identity, erase our history, and then just leave us here like we are nothing. Right. You follow me? 
And this is why, if you think about it, and if you don't believe me, go back and watch the movie Roots. This is why the first thing they did when they brought our ancestors over here was erase our God out of our minds. And they taught us that Jesus was God. And they taught us to obey them as the master and the representation of Jesus. And that's why they started giving us the white pictures of the white Jesus, because the white Jesus was the representation of the white masters, and so to disobey the white masters was to disobey Jesus, which was to disobey God. So they made themselves gods to us and used the scriptures to do it. Who, who laughing? Who laughing? It's me laughing because I've been watching a lot of Malcolm X speeches and documentations and that's that you hit it on those those are a lot of things that he spoke about in his speeches. Well, amen. Amen. I'm glad to be able to give you some confirmation. So again, I'm not being racist, but I'm telling the truth. They took our God from us. They took a law from us and then brainwashed us now to say that a law is a false moon God. So the very God that made a covenant with Abraham to be our God, these people brainwashed us that we now fight against Allah and our own Semitic roots. Okay, somebody's got a question. Uh, Sister, Mm -hmm. oh, it's you, Sister Venus. Go ahead. (laughs) I do have a question because you used the word racist. And my question is, I don't know, I've been thinking, and I'm thinking this. How can we not be racist? I mean, like, it's kind of like a a thing that is just automatic, whether, you know, you're black or white or, you know, you you serve this God, this God, is that God. You know, everybody got these. And, and, and I had to come to a conclusion I have to say, I'm, I'm part racist. <laughs> I really am. So, so let's do something real quick. Let's 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 look up what does the word racist mean. So the word racist is a person who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against people of other races, or who believes that a particular race is superior to another. So. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Because uh, I guess based <laughs> and we're going to have to erase this part off the uh, off the uh, teachers before I upload it. <laughs> now, now, check this out. When I tell people I'm not racist, what I mean is I'm not into supremacy. I'm not going around saying that black people are superior and everybody else, just screw y'all. Unless you black, you ain't nothing. Because white ain't white. And I ain't that extreme with it. <laughs> not that right, right. extreme with it where I'm going to call all white folks the devil. But at the same time, I'm not going to deny that within the white European culture, there's some devils. And we can't deny this because what they've done to our people is very devilish. 
That's why the other day when I was watching the news and they were talking about they taking this matter of Black Lives Matter to the Supreme Court so that Black Lives Matter can be deemed a domestic terrorist organization. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> you mean to tell me that KKK's been terrorizing people for years and we ain't never took them to the Supreme Court to call them a domestic terrorist organization? Mm-hmm. But you gonna say Black Lives Matter is a domestic terrorist organization? You you can kick rock. They always gotta have control over everything. Okay. Back back to this, we can finish this. Verse seven. I'm gonna read it again. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land where you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant. Therefore, thou and thy seed after you in their generations. Now, pay, pay close attention to this. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. So what's the covenant about? Circumcision. Circumcision. But let's not forget that Brother Paul comes in the New Testament and tells us that we shouldn't be worried about circumcision. Mm-hmm. You can't listen to Paul. No. <laughs> so but check this out. If God says the covenant between us and him is circumcision, but then a Roman citizen, which would have been European descent, comes and says, don't worry about circumcision. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with this picture? Mm-hmm. So, you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generation, he that is born in your house, or brought with money, of any stranger, which is not thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money has to be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now, when you really sit down and break down the Abrahamic covenant, what you see is God saying the token of the covenant was circumcision. So the question why is it till this day the Arabs still circumcise their, their their male children? Why is it that we here in America circumcise our kids? There's a couple of groups of people today that don't circumcise. There is. Absolutely. You're right about that. Okay. They, Go ahead, Chris They They teach us that uh, circumcision today is for um, for health reasons as far as uh, and when they 
that skin, that full of skin harbors uh, nasty stuff. I got you. I got you. So once again, they try to tell us health reasons, but we know from God that the real reason is a covenant. Mm -hmm. Okay, look at verse 17. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Because if you read ahead, God now starts talking to Abraham about Isaac. And at this point, Ishmael is about 12, 13 years old. So we know from Scripture that Ishmael is about 13 years older than Isaac is. So now Abraham laughs and says, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham prays for Ishmael and says, I want my son to stay in your presence. Keep my son on the right path. So in other words, if Abraham prayed for this son named Ishmael, do you not think that he taught Ishmael this very God that called him out of the land of earth, away from his father's house of paganism? Do you not? Do we really want to rationalize and think that Abraham, the great man of God, taught one son God, the other son he didn't? His firstborn son. Come on now. Okay, God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, indeed, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this time in the next year. So stop there. So we'll take that and say, see right there. God rejected Ishmael and said the covenant was supposed to be with Isaac. But the part that we failed to bring up is there's a covenant with Abraham, there's a covenant with Isaac, and then there's a covenant with Ishmael. So all three parties in this story had a covenant. Right. But when you out Ishmael, you never take time to read the scriptures to figure out this man's covenant. Nor do we read the scriptures to verify how the covenant was fulfilled. But you just read where God said, after Ishmael, I have blessed him. Did everybody see that? Mm -hmm. So question, if Ishmael is the bad character of the story, why does God bless him? Right. Why does God say I'm going to make out of him a great nation of 12 princes? shall he be gotten out. The 12 princes, and we'll close with this part today. In order for him to be got 12 princes, that would have to mean Ishmael became a king. 
Right. And by right, Ishmael will become a king because his mama was the princess of Egypt. Now, when right. you get deeper into the story, you'll find out that, yes, mama and the king of Egypt meet back up so that Pharaoh could see his grandson. So by right, yes, Ishmael was royalty. And by right, he gave birth to 12 princes. But when the last time you heard a sermon about the 12 princes of Ishmael? We hear about the 12 tribes of Israel, but we don't never hear about the 12 tribes of Ishmael. Right. Oh, did, did, did you get that? Wait a minute. Did you get that? That Israel had 12 tribes. Ishmael had 12 tribes. Yes? Mm-hmm. 12 plus 12 is what? 24. 24. So when you go to Revelation, you read about the 24 elders mm-hmm. that sit on the thrones. So now you know who the 24 elders mm-hmm. are. The 12 All princes right. of Israel that join hands with the 12 princes of Ishmael. Because Isaac and Ishmael together make up the kingdom. You cannot pull one out and then oust out the other one, and then establish a new kingdom. And that's what we've done. We've created our own kingdom, picked our own people that we want a part of this story, and we've left out the true story. So therefore, when we get to Revelation and we read about the 24 elders, nobody seems to know who the 24 elders are. Even though the Bible clearly tells you who they are, 12 plus 12 is 24. These are your 24 elders. It is representation of the nation of Isaac, which we call Israel, and the nation of Ishmael that we call the Arab state being one family, one kingdom of Semitic people, but because Israel got hijacked. That's where we're getting ready to go this week. I'm going to show you how the how the kingdom split. And after the kingdom split is where things got boo-boo. The boo-boo hits the fan. I can't say what I really want to say, but God knows that. The boo-boo hits the fan. <laughs> so then when you get into Jeroboam, and you get into it now, now, previous classes, I brought up Jeroboam before, and we looked at a couple of scriptures. And Jeroboam, just reminds you, is the one who panicked when, when, when he feared that Israel was going to go back to the kingdom and solidify itself as one kingdom again. So he created uh, some holidays and installed them and said, why go back to Jerusalem when we can worship our gods right here? And so started he Judaism with the Talmud, and they've been going on ever since. Then when you get into the part of when they integrated with another culture, and that culture then converted to the Talmudic Judaism, and because this group was rich with money and power, they consolidated themselves and called themselves Judah. And then Judah took over Jerusalem, and the rest has been history. And they have tricked and lied to the masses of the world for centuries. 
And this is the, that, the amazing part to me that we read Revelation 3, 9. The synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews and they're not, I'm going to make them come and bow down before you, and the you here are the true people. You, you get my point. So, next time somebody tells you about Ishmael being a bastard, and Ishmael's not included in the promise, ask them where is that at in the Bible. And it's amazing that they can't show it to you. But yet, this is a doctrine in the Christian church. How is this doctrine, but it's not Bible? I thought in order for a church doctrine to be a doctrine, we should at least be able to go to the Bible and point it out and show this is why I believe this. But then when you find a doctrine that's not even in the Bible, how do you, how do you, how do you explain that? I believe in this, but it ain't in the Bible. Yes. Okay. Questions, comments for today before we end. Okay. I, I I hope you learned something. And um Yeah, and, and Sister Venus, I, I I get what you mean. Just be careful going around telling people you are racist. <laughs> oh no, 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 I wouldn't just flat out, you know, say that. Like I said, it has nothing to do with like you explain being the trends and all that, but I had to come to a conclusion that I am racist. <laughs> I got you. I got you. And if we be honest, everybody got a little racism in them one way or another. One way or another, everybody got a little enough. bit of it in them. Because right. And it ain't got to be towards people. You know, like, right. like the color skin, you know? Right. 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 I was going to say it's the color of the skin because those of us who have both races in us, I feel I'm not racist. I feel that I can make judgment calls on both sides because I am almost I equally of, of both. So I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, see, in, in their viewpoint, and when I say this, I'm just messing with you, Sister Felicia, so don't take me serious. In, 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 in the white folks' culture, you got nigga in you, so you a nigga. They don't care about the white part. You, you got nigga in you. You ain't even none of us. You just nigga. Right. <laughs> I know that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's weird to have racism from both races and then have racism in your culture, too. Right. Like, I, where, where I belong? I belong to you. I, I belong to you. Y'all want me? Y'all want me? I'm my own person, then. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you a personal question. Let me ask you a personal question. Growing up as a, as a, a mixed child, did, did you ever get picked on or teased because of being mixed? Heck yeah. Okay. I got freckles. Okay. So, you know, let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about, uh, what's that freckle face, uh, girl's name? Uh, Pippi Longstocking. You know, and did you drink your freckle juice this morning? 